Book Three, Chapters Nine and Ten of Stolen Idols. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stolen Idols by E. Phillips Oppenheim. Book Three, Chapter Nine. Mr. Johnson returned to find a motor-car standing outside his door and Major Holmes with a subordinate in colloquy with Morton. He led them himself to the library, showed them the door with its picked lock, the empty coffer, and the window on the ground floor through which the marauder had made an easy entrance. The chief constable was perplexed. "'You are only a subtenant here, I understand, Mr. Johnson,' he asked. "'Only a subtenant,' the latter acknowledged. "'And you yourself have never been in this room? "'I gather that it was locked up by Miss Endicott's instructions.' "'Quite so.' "'Then you really don't know what has been taken?' "'The contents of the coffer, evidently,' Mr. Johnson replied. "'It was always understood that it contained Chinese manuscripts "'which Mr. Endicott brought home with him from abroad.' "'There was a moment's silence.' Then Major Holmes continued. "'I have told Inspector Clutzen here,' he said, "'of your visit to me.' "'And of my suspicions?' "'Yes.' The inspector coughed. He had a heavy but ingenuous countenance. Disbelief was stamped upon it. "'Will you gentlemen follow me?' Mr. Johnson invited. He led them on to the lawn, well away from the house." At a safe distance he came to a standstill and pointed to the library. Endicott, he said, was murdered for the possession of that other wooden image and for the manuscript which indicated the whereabouts of the jewels. The object of the murder was achieved in part. A wooden image was taken. You will find it now at Ballaston Hall. For some reason or another the murderer failed to secure the document. He probably heard some movement in the house. The burglary last night was undertaken to secure it. Nothing else was touched, but the manuscripts are missing. The only person to whom the manuscripts are useful is the possessor of the images. Inspector Clutzen stroked his chin thoughtfully. He looked across towards the great front of the hall. His was not the type of brain to quickly absorb suspicion, and much of this talk concerning wooden images and Chinese manuscripts he looked upon as fantastic, almost as fantastic as the idea that a member of one of the great county families whom he revered could so far forget their lofty station as to commit a misdemeanor under the shadow of the law. Crime, in Inspector Clutzen's opinion, was for the criminals. The idea of a Balliston as a criminal was grotesque. "'You refer to the Ballastons,' Major Holmes observed after a pause. Mr. Johnson inclined his head. "'I refer to the Ballastons,' he assented. "'Wait, please, a moment.' Morton came towards them, followed by the young man who was interested in moths. Mr. Johnson welcomed him pleasantly, but with no indication of intimacy. "'Glad to see you, Fielding,' he said. "'I sent word down that those trout-flies had arrived.' I'll show them to you directly. That will do, Morton. The butler departed. Mr. Johnson turned to the chief constable. This is Mr. Fielding, he announced. He is a member of the firm of Watts and Fielding, private enquiry agents. 
he has been staying in the neighbourhood for the last month making a few investigations for me the relations between the accredited representatives of the law and a private enquiry agent were scarcely likely to be cordial major holmes however nodded slightly to some extent as i told you i have been anticipating last night's visit mr johnson continued mr fielding therefore has spent a considerable portion of his time after midnight watching the egress from the hall he will tell you that this morning a man slipped out of one of the side entrances a door in fact which opened from the small library into the garden at ten minutes past three and that he followed him to this house is that a fact the chief constable asked gravely that is a fact fielding replied i am prepared to swear to it did you recognize the man major holmes inquired the other shook his head i was obeying orders in keeping strictly out of sight he explained i was not near enough to recognize him once before someone left by the same door at about the same time but he looked behind in the park and saw me so nothing happened if you saw this person enter these premises at that hour of the morning the chief constable inquired why did you not follow in case mr johnson needed assistance my express orders were that he should do nothing of the sort the latter intervened i wished for many reasons to keep the matter in my own hands i have been used to scraps he went on in every part of the world i understand jiu-jitsu boxing and how to draw a gun as quickly as any one i never dreamed that i might be outwitted the visitor from the hall who stole the manuscripts last night was too clever for me now sir mr johnson continued impressively i want everything done in an orthodox fashion and i know very well your prejudice and a very natural one against the interference of private detectives mr fielding will withdraw from the case from now onwards but i do expect that on the basis of the information you have already received you will at once proceed with the necessary inquiries i have no alternative but to do so the chief constable admitted reluctantly i must warn you however that i shall do so in the manner which seems to me the most desirable i shall approach sir bertram himself you will use your own discretion of course mr johnson said but action must be taken at once there mustn't be time for anyone to slip off abroad or anything of that sort and i want you to remember this major when you found last night's burglar and that ought not to be a difficult job you should also be able to solve the mystery of my poor friend endicott's murder that may be so mr johnson the other answered a little sadly i can only say that i sincerely hope not we shall probably meet later in the day i shall be here or in the neighbourhood the other promised the chief constable and his subordinate entered the car and drove off they swung round the corner of the lane and a dozen curious pairs of eyes saw them turn in at the park gates what do you think of this clutzen the former asked bunkum was the prompt reply that's what i think bunkum and between you and me major i don't think much of that fellow johnson a stranger to the neighbourhood no one knows anything about him come here for god knows why and spinning yarns like this bunkum is what i think of it and as for this burglar who else except that pettifogging enquiry agent saw anyone leave the great house not a soul we've heard of jobs major done from the inside done by the victim haven't we 
those manuscripts or whatever he calls them were just as likely to be valuable to johnson as to anyone else supposing he wanted them well he's gone the best way he could to help himself if you ask me what i think about our present errand sir i should call it a mare's nest nothing more nor less my idea of the job is to get mr johnson's dossier and search the great house the chief constable smiled he had not fully confided in his subordinate yet when he came to reflect upon the matter mr johnson's bona fides had not yet been established in the depths of his companion's bucolic mind might lurk after all the germ of truth end of book three chapter nine book three chapter ten so far as the countenance of so perfect a servant as rawson could betray any expression at all there was both welcome and a suggestion of hospitality in his manner as he received the callers certainly sir bertram was in mr gregory was in and mr henry was in sir bertram appeared almost at that moment coming out of the gun-room with a rook rifle under his arm hello major he exclaimed genially glad to see you warned in for lunch i hope very much obliged sir bertram was the somewhat hesitating reply to tell you the truth ah business i see the other interrupted come along to my den it is so long since i signed a warrant that upon my word i forgot i was a magistrate bring the inspector with you if you want him he led the way to a small and seldom used room plainly furnished where he was accustomed at times to interview a tenant seated himself on an uncomfortable chair before a formal-looking desk and pointed to an easy-chair for his visitor nothing serious i hope he inquired major holmes waited until the door was closed sir bertram he began you have no doubt heard of the burglary at the great house my dear major was the somewhat reproachful reply this is a country village in norfolk and the burglary happened as long ago as last night i have heard seven versions of the affair and been given the names of at least seven suspectedly guilty parties i have come to call upon you in connection with that affair major holmes continued there is a person willing to declare upon oath that a quarter of an hour before the burglary occurred last night someone was seen to leave your house and enter the grounds of the great house through a gap in the hedge beyond the stable wall sir bertram sat quite still for a moment then his lips protruded slightly and he whistled well that's the eighth version he observed i like the last one holmes spicy to say the least of it this is not hearsay the chief constable went on i have seen the witness myself and heard the story from his own lips I come to you naturally for help, Sir Bertram. I want a list of your male domestics, and I wish to know from your staff whether anyone was known or heard to leave this house last night. Simple as ABC, Sir Bertram declared, ringing the bell. Rawson keeps tabs on them all. We've a couple of lads, underfootmen, I suppose they'd call themselves, whom I don't know much about the others are about as likely to commit a burglary as i should be to rob a hen-roost send rawson to me he ordered the man who answered the bell it was a matter of seconds only before the butler made his appearance 
His master leaned back in his chair as he questioned him. Rawson, he asked, do you know any one, any man, who could have left this house between midnight and three or, say, four o'clock this morning? Certainly not, sir, was the confident reply. You didn't hear any unusual sound in the night, like a door opening or anything of that sort? Nothing, Sir Bertram. If you were told that someone had left this house at about three o'clock and gone down to the great house, what should you have to say about it? "'I should say that it was impossible, sir,' Rawson asserted. "'As you are aware, sir, I sleep in my own quarters adjoining the butler's pantry on the ground floor. My window and door were both wide open last night, and I am a light sleeper. I was not once disturbed.' Sir Bertram turned to the chief constable. "'Did your informant specify the door which was made use of?' "'It was the door opening from the smaller library.' Sir Bertram glanced towards Rawson. "'See if that door is fastened,' he directed. "'Here, you'd better take the inspector with you.' The two men left the room. Sir Bertram tapped a cigarette upon the table and lit it. "'Where did you get hold of this cock-and-bull story, Holmes?' he asked. The chief constable frowned. "'From a perfectly reliable source,' he replied. "'I have no doubt that Rawson is honest, but I shall want the names of all your servants.' I shall also require to interview them all. Sir Bertram smiled. Lord love us, you don't suppose I want to stand in the way of your duty, Holmes, he said. When Rawson comes back, you shall have them all up one by one and put them all through the mill. By the by, there was nothing much stolen, was there? I understand the burglar had only tumbled out a coffer full of manuscripts. The manuscripts themselves are missing, Major Holmes confided. "'I have seen the lot, Sir Bertram,' observed carelessly. "'Some of them were very curious. "'There wasn't one of them worth sixpence intrinsically. "'Endicott was supposed to have one telling us all about the treasure in my Buddha heads, "'but it never materialized.' "'Rawson returned in due course, preceded by the inspector. "'The door is properly locked on the inside, sir,' the latter announced. There are no evidences of anyone having used that way out into the grounds lately. So that's that, Sir Bertram observed with a little shrug of the shoulders. How many servants are there sleeping in the house, Major Holmes inquired. Eleven, sir, Rawson answered. I shall require to interview each one of them. Get along with it, then, Sir Bertram assented resignedly. Don't forget we lunch at one. Rawson had better take you round to the servants' quarters. When Major Holmes has finished, Rawson, bring him out on to the lawn and serve some sherry. He dismissed them all carelessly with a little wave of the hand, waited until the door was closed, waited some minutes afterwards before his expression changed or a sound escaped from his lips. Then he rose slowly to his feet, lit another cigarette, and looked reproachfully at his shaking fingers. "'What a nerve these great criminals must have,' he murmured to himself as he strolled out into the hall. "'Henry! Hello, Henry!' A still, motionless figure stood in the shadow of the staircase on the first landing, looking downward, a figure so still that except for his clothes he might have stepped out of one of the frames which lined the wall. "'Are you coming down, or going up, or rooted?' Sir Bertram inquired. I will descend, Henry Ballaston replied. He came down the stairs with slow yet even footsteps, 
one hand always upon the carved balustrade. "'I heard voices,' he said. "'Holmes is here from Norwich,' Sir Bertram confided, "'and the immortal Clutson with him, "'you know, the travelling inspector for the district. "'They have an idea that someone crossed the park from the hall last night.' "'In connection, I presume, with the burglary at the great house,' Henry observed. "'His brother nodded. "'A silly business. Have you seen anything of Gregory?' "'Not since breakfast-time. He spoke of going to Norwich. He found he wanted another trunk.' "'Sir Bertram sighed. The brothers walked out together through the fine Gothic side-entrance which led on to the lawns and gardens.' "'You had no communication from Mr. Burroughs this morning, I suppose?' Henry Ballaston asked, a little hesitatingly. "'Nothing,' was the level reply. "'There was a letter from Kershaw, the lawyer-fellow of whom Emily spoke so highly. "'He said that he had studied the position from every point of view, "'and regretted to find that he could discover no means remaining "'by which sufficient money to pay the overdue interest on the first mortgage "'could be legitimately raised. "'The timber will be the only thing, and the timber is Ballaston.' "'The timber is sacred,' Henry agreed. "'Has Mr. Kershaw examined the position so far as regards the Romneys "'and the three Gainsboroughs? "'Heirlooms, just the same as the others. "'They are not to be touched.' The brothers stood side by side upon the lawn, their faces turned towards the house. Sir Bertram was his usual cool and gracious self. Henry had somehow or other a suggestion of suspended life in his colourless face, his stiff attitude, his cold eyes. "'Major Holmes is examining the servants,' he inquired. "'That was his idea. "'Will he wait until Gregory returns?' "'Very likely.' "'As I think I told you, they seem to have come across someone who can swear that they saw a man leaving the hall last night, just before the burglary took place.' "'But there was no actual burglary,' Henry objected. "'A quantity of documents appear to be missing,' Sir Bertram confided. "'Holmes's attitude seemed to me a little suspicious. I fancy that someone has been getting at him. I'm not sure.' I must confess to having some doubts about this man Johnson. Doubts? Explain yourself, Bertram. Johnson's account of himself has never been an entirely credible one. Do you remember the day when he lunched here and he saw the images? He certainly betrayed surprise, Henry reflected. Gregory has a queer idea about it, although it only made us laugh at the time. He said he reminded him of the Chinaman who saved his life on the Yonsei River, and who was an important person in the firm of Johnson and Company. Mr. Johnson is not a Chinaman, Henry Ballaston replied confidently. His brother took his arm and moved towards the house. Major Holmes was standing in the entrance. No, Sir Bertram agreed, but the Chinaman might have been Mr. Johnson. End of Book 3, Chapter 10